Welcome to the Living Parables Podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all the listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you, and now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode. I hope it's treating you well so far. I want to start off by saying thank you for your patience. Uh, many of you don't know, but this past week I was at a funeral for my uncle who passed away on my mother's side. And so that was just uh, kind of a difficult time for a lot of our family members and and my mom in particular, you know, it's her brother. And so we just want to pray for the family. And, and I know there's a lot of people going through different trials. So we were doing that Thursday. That's why this episode is a little bit later than usual, but God is good in the midst of the trials and tribulations that we go through. So right now I want to shift our attention to something that I feel that we need to be in these days that we're currently in. The title of this episode is called Bold as a Lion. And I don't think that anything right now is more appropriate than than that. And we're not talking about just people in general. We're talking about people that are followers of Jesus Christ. At this point in history, you are starting to see the domino effects. You're starting to see the things that are done in the shadows start to become into the light. And so we have to be ready. We have to be thoroughly equipped. And more importantly, we need to be in Christ. We need to be in the Holy Spirit. This is not a time for casual Christianity. This isn't a time for letting our Bibles become a little manual for our self-happiness. We can't do those things. Those things should never have been, but there was a time where Christianity was comfortable, and now it's starting to get very uncomfortable. So it's so appropriate now that we hear this message today. I need to hear this message today, and we need to be diligent in our faith. So our whole main scripture today is found in Proverbs 28.1, which says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing but the righteous are bold as a lion. We are the righteous, those who put their trust and faith in Christ and Christ alone. Not those who trust in their abilities, by their deeds, their self-righteousness. No, it's those who put their trust and faith in Christ. Our righteousness comes only from Him. And with that, we need to be as bold as a lion. So why should we be as bold as a lion? Why should we be as bold as a lion in our faith? Well, I'm going to give you five reasons today. And I'm not going to say that this episode is going to be shorter than what you're used to, but it very well could be. 
I'm not saying it's going to be that because you know that is a death sentence. And as you know, when I say, oh, this is not going to be that long, it's going to be long. But we're not here about that. We're not here to discuss that. We're not here to focus on that. We're here to focus on Jesus Christ and our boldness in him. So I'm going to give you five reasons why we should be bold. Number one, we were delivered from God's wrath. We were delivered from God's wrath. Romans 2, 5 says, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. That was us at one point, ladies and gentlemen. That was us. And let me tell you something. That is a very, very glorious, sobering reality that we at one point were stubborn in our hearts. We were unrepentant in our hearts. And because of that, we were storing up wrath for ourselves. And I have to say, I have to say this to you right now. You don't want to participate and partake of the wrath of God. Because it says in Hebrews 10.31 that it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. It's a terrifying thing. And I know sometimes in this day and age that there's there's no fear of anything anymore. Do you have you noticed that? When I was a kid, I'm not maybe I was just a fraidy cat, I guess. I don't know. But there was a healthy fear of a lot of different things. And now it's it's admirable to fear nothing, to go against the grain, to have no sense of guilt or remorse for the things that we do. And our society and our culture just eats it up. But here it is saying in Hebrews, again, 10, 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Because, again, now I'm going to jump to 2 Corinthians 1.10. Talking about God here. God who delivered us from, actually Christ, excuse me. Christ delivered us from so great a peril of death, and he will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. And I think that just speaks volumes right now. We were objects of wrath. Wrath storing up against us every single minute of every single day. Whether it was our blasphemous thoughts, our unclean thoughts, our, the words that are coming in our mouths, our desires that are contrary to what God says. We were storing up wrath upon ourselves. But here's the thing. It was not just that it's an unrepentant heart. We didn't care what we did. We just do things because we want to do it because it feels good. But again, going back into 2 Corinthians 1.10, he delivered us from such a great peril of death. We're not talking about physical death here. We're talking about the second death, spiritual death. Because only those who are in the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, can be pleasing to God. And outside of Christ, we do not have the Spirit. Our spirits, lowercase s there, 
are completely dead and dormant. That's the reality. And I cannot thank God enough for delivering me from that great peril of death. And he will deliver us. And what did he deliver us from? He delivered us from, again, sin and death. And where did he do that at? That was at the cross. And I know some people think that the actual physical death of Jesus was what paid for our sins, and it did. But he also had a very spiritual suffering that we don't talk about too often. Jesus suffered tremendously at the cross. He drank the full cup of the wrath of God. He took that upon himself. And I don't think we'll ever know what that truly means, what that will feel like until we pass on from this life and to the next when we're in the presence of God or we're being condemned to hell. Because one thing that we will do and we will experience is we will know in full of what Jesus did. That is a fact. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know exactly what Jesus did for us that day on the cross. I know the physical part of it. We, we read about it. We've seen movies about it. But we don't know the spiritual suffering that Jesus had to endure that day. And we won't know that fully until we come face to face with God Almighty himself, which is a glorious thought for the believer and an utterly terrifying thing for the unbeliever. Again, right now, there is no fear of God in this country. Very, very few fear him. Very few are bothered deeply when we sin. And some people that are deceived in their faith think that just because they have Jesus Christ that they can just go on about sinning and God will forgive him later for it. It's like you've seen in the movies before where people say, God, forgive me for I'm about ready to sin. That makes zero sense. Why? What? So you're going to ask for forgiveness before you sin and you're going to willingly sin? That is that is not right either. So there's a lot of things that you see that are just backwards and wrong. And one of the things, again, in this point number one here is that the Christian, the true believer in Jesus Christ, they know what they've been saved from. And I think that's half the battle too. As Christians, and we're talking to our non-Christian co-workers, friends, family members, people have to know what they're being saved from. And a lot of times people don't know what they're being saved from. They just hear that they need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and if they don't, they're going to go to hell. And they don't know why they need to be saved in the first place. I, I have a good life. I, my bank account's doing really well. I just bought a new house and going to get married here soon. And we just, we just went to the pumpkin patch and, you know, we have a, you know, we have, a, we have the perfect life. And, you know, we, 
we have good routines and we go down the, the farmer's market and we make our own food and we have some, we have some good jobs and, you know, maybe we have some noble jobs. Maybe we're doctors, policemen, firefighters, you go down the list, but you know, I, I get back to society. I volunteer at the homeless shelter and, and I, you know, I, Hey, I adopted a, a rescue pet. I, I adopted one. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a, I think I'm a pretty good person. I don't know why I need God. I mean, I got everything I need. I, I don't really need him. And we're going to touch on that on the next episode. But do you see where that becomes a little bit of a challenge? People have to know what they're being saved from. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and your Master and your Lord and your faith is not in Him and Him alone, your eternal destination is hell in which you will be a recipient of the full wrath of God. And we must, we absolutely must take advantage of every opportunity so that our family members, our friends, our coworkers don't end up in hell. So we have to be bold. We can't sit back and we cannot let people just march right into hell because the reality is that oftentimes the road that seems to be going to heaven is actually the path to hell. Because what do we know about the two paths? The broad road leads to destruction, and that's easy. Everybody's on, most people are on that. But it's the narrow road, it's that narrow path that leads to life, heaven, and few find it. And you know, as we're wrapping up point number one here, here's, here's the reality. The Christian, the true believer in Christ, understands what they've been rescued from. Colossians 1.13 says, For he, talking about Christ, rescued us from the domain of darkness. My brothers and sisters, that is where people are at without Christ. They're in the domain of darkness. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. I'm telling you right now, we have been transferred out of the domain of darkness. That is called justification. When we put our trust and faith in Christ and we repent of our sins, we turn away from this life, we renounce this life and the passions and the lusts and desires, and we, we turn and we place our trust and faith in Christ, That is called justification. That's instantaneous. That's, it's a miraculous work of God in which, again, we go back to 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Again, we are given Christ's righteousness, and Christ takes upon our sin, all, all our sin, all our ugliness, and then 
this verse here in verse 13 in Colossians 1, we are instantaneously, miraculously rescued from the domain of darkness because it had us shackled in darkness. Our spirit was held captive and there's no way we could escape on our own good deeds. It doesn't work that way. We are rescued by the powerful work of God through Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's when he transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son, but not just by, it's not a, it's not a free, it's not a free gift for everybody right now. Well, wait a minute, Nate, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You're, 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 hold on here. What? Here's what I mean by that. Christ did die for our sins, but only for the sins of people who put their trust and faith in him and him alone. People have an opportunity to put their trust and faith in him, but what happens? We look around our schools, look around our jobs, look around our families. Christ is not the center of that. So those people who have their trust and faith in him, those are, that are his, they are transferred from that domain of darkness, that spiritual death, and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son where we actually have our lives, our spiritual lives resurrected and, new, and we walk in newness of life. That's what that means. And what do we need to do? Our family members, our friends, our colleagues go down the list. If they don't have Christ, they are in the domain of darkness. And where is their de destination? It's hell. That is where they're going to go. They think they're free. They think they're living life to the full. When in reality, their spirits are shackled, they're dead, and they are awaiting the wrath of God in hell. That is a scary thought. And you might be the only person in that person's life to ever share the gospel with them. That is a heavy responsibility. And one that we have to take very seriously. And remember, if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a bullseye on your back. If you are representing Christ, they are watch. They, I'm talking about they, everybody. Everybody is watching to see what you do to what you say. So as we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we have to be diligent to be living our life surrendered to Christ so that Christ controls us, that we're spirit-led, that we're spirit-controlled, so that we might represent Christ the best possible way we can, not that we have a righteousness of our own, but that we have Christ's righteousness, that we have been given this tremendous amount of grace, and that we're extending that to them. But if we're living lives contrary to what God says, people are not going to come to Christ. You're just like a non-Christian. Why would they come? Why would they change your life if your life hasn't been changed? If your life hasn't been changed, if you don't bear any fruit, you know what that probably means? You're probably not saved. What? You're calling into question my salvation? How dare you? Well, that's between you and God. But if your life is not bearing fruit, ladies and gentlemen, that's not a good sign. 
because it says very clearly in Scripture that if you don't bear fruit, you are not Christ's disciple. It's not my words. Because in Matthew chapter 7, I'll tell you, Matthew chapter 7 is so, I mean, it's amazing. But also one of the scariest chapters in all the Bible. Matthew 7, 19 says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Are you fruitful for the Lord or not? It's that simple. So, point number one is we were delivered from God's wrath. That's why we need to be as bold as a lion. Point number two, believers have and understand divine truth. Point number two, believers have and understand divine truth. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed. Do you believe with your whole heart that this book that oftentimes sits there and collects dust, that this is the actual mind and thoughts and words of the living God? Do you believe that? Since all scripture is God breathed or inspired by God. It's the same thing. Do you believe that though? That's the question. I wholeheartedly do. Every single word in this book is divinely inspired by God and the Holy Spirit. That's what we have as believers. But it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop there. Because in 1 Corinthians, the the second chapter, verses 14 through 16, listen to this. But a natural man, talking about non-Christians here, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, capital S, Holy Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Pretty clear, don't you think? Because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Now, this is the, you're probably used to this verse, you've heard me say this a lot, but this is powerful. Verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord? that he will instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have Christ, he is your Lord, Master, and Savior. You, you hear me say that a lot. But if he is your Lord, Master, and Savior, and you are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and you are walking in newness of life, and you are reborn, we understand the things of the Spirit of God. But once again, the natural man, again, those are non-Christians. They don't understand the things of God, or do they accept them? That That is a clear reality. But we have been given the mind of Christ. That is such a powerful verse, and that is such a uplifting, encouraging verse for us to hear. Because a lot of times we walk through this life and we think we're we're no good and and we're never going to amount to much and that we have nothing to offer. And while those things could possibly be true, because we're trying to stay humble, we have the mind of Christ. 
we have a Holy Spirit power within us. We have the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And we have the mind of Christ. And now we can understand these things. And now we can see scripture clearly. Now we can see the deep spiritual truths that the Holy Spirit reveals in Holy Scripture. That is amazing, powerful, uplifting stuff. And here's the other thing. That's that is a major privilege. The world, the world hasn't isn't given that gift. It's only those who are true believers of Jesus Christ. And then John 17, 17, you've heard me quote this many times before, but Jesus says, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Friends, the word of God is absolute truth. And I want you now to turn with me to the book of Psalm, chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. I want you to listen to this. This is talking about the word of God here. It says, starting in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So what do, what do we have here in front of us? We have perfection. We have what is right, and we have what is pure and enlightening and restoring. That is the power that we have been given to us. And more importantly, we have it right in front of us. Holy Scripture. That's what those things are. And there's nothing more important than that. And there's nothing more exciting than that. And that's why we need to be as bold as a lion. Because all Scripture is God-breathed. These are God's mind, His thoughts, and His heart on paper. Divine truth revealed to us in 66 books. And we have the mind of Christ. And we have something that is absolutely true, perfect, holy, pure, and enlightening. That's what we have. That's why we need to be bold. Because that is what the world is truly missing. And now let's go ahead and move on to point number three. Point number three is we have a living hope. We have a living hope. 1 Timothy 1.1 says that Christ Jesus is our hope. He is our hope. In this desperate world, in this dying world, He is our hope. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I talked to my family the day of the funeral, and I'm going to share something really intimate with you all. We were at the gravesite, and the casket was laid up above where the gravesite is, ready to be lowered. Everybody else had walked off and my family stayed put. And we just talked very briefly. 
And I quoted this scripture to my family. And why did I do that? Because God in his great mercy, Jesus in his great mercy, the Holy Spirit in his great mercy has caused us to be born again into a living hope. And this living hope, ladies and gentlemen, is a hope that is something you can count on, that you could put your complete trust and faith in. And it's a hope that never will disappoint you. It will never let us down. It will never let us feel empty and wonder if, well, hey, if this if this doesn't hold weight, then probably nothing else will. Have we experienced stuff like that before? Absolutely we have. We put our hope in something and either it disappoints us or it doesn't live up to the hype or it's kind of done in a manner that's not as advertised. So we kind of lose hope and we then we try to put our hope in something else. But we have a living hope through the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Christ. In which we have an opportunity to be born again, born from above. That is the hope. And now with that, now that we have been born again, brothers and sisters, now that we have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, now we've been given the mind of Christ. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 3.12. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. I cannot stress this enough to you. It is not time to lay down our swords. Scripture. This is not a time to run and hide in our closets in fear. This is not a time for that. Do you remember our episode about a call to arms? Remember that? Well, I'm not going to get that intense here, but we cannot, brothers and sisters, any longer sit idly by with our Bibles closed, our hands unfolded, and just hope that the world gets better. I got my faith, and now I'm just going to wait Wait on God now. It says, faith without works is dead. We must be people of action. We must be people of boldness. Not boldness where we're looking for fights, but that we are standing up for truth. It says the thief, talking about Satan, has come to steal kill and destroy. And it it talks later in scripture, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And that's what we need to do. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We are by grace through faith, children of the almighty God. And if we are his children, then our mission needs to be the same as our brother, Jesus Christ. Our King, our Master, our Savior, His mission has come to destroy the works of the devil. No, we're not going to go into haunted houses and try to fight off demons. That's not what we're talking about here. But we're talking about heresy, apostasy, blasphemy of people teaching Scripture according to men, to the doctrine of demons rather than what God intended Scripture to be. 
fighting against the traditions of men, the thoughts of men, elevating men to positions where they don't deserve and don't belong. We need to be men and women of action and boldness in our speech and boldness of our lives, living for Christ, representing Jesus Christ, being ambassadors for Jesus Christ in our families, around our friends, around coworkers. And I'll tell you what, you have a great testimony, a great ministry in your workplace. You really do. And you can't sit back and just be one of the gang. We have to stand out. We have to be that. We have to be the city on a hill. We have to be a light of the world, a salt of the earth. We have to be those things. Otherwise, we've lost our saltiness. Our lights have dimmed and we just become one of the world. And where is that going to lead us? That's going to lead us straight to hell. And that's not where we want to go. But we have this living hope. And with this hope, we have great boldness in our speech. Every word that comes out of our mouths should not be an inappropriate joke to fit in with the group. It shouldn't be poor language. It shouldn't be curse words. Every word that should come out of our mouth should be scriptural based. It should be scripture. And I'll tell you right now, in my classroom, most of the words that come out of my mouth are scripture. Not all the time, but I want to say most of the time because my students need to hear it. No, I'm not actually quoting the Bible to them, but I am without actually quoting it. Does that make sense? I'm not saying, well, in... Psalm 46, 10, it says, be still, know that I'm God. No, sometimes, sometimes I just say, hey, be still and know. I have integrity on my poster in my classroom. I have even better, I have iron sharpens iron on the outside of my door. And I said, oh, I, tell, I tell people, what do you think that comes from? That doesn't come because I'm so clever. No, I, I get it from God Almighty himself, from Scripture. But because of that hope, because of the hope we have, because we're born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord, we have this living hope that now we use great boldness in our speech because there is no greater news than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater than that. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that this should be of first importance. And yet... Sometimes we succumb to the temptation of not want to rock the boat, not want to hurt people's feelings. Well, I got news for you. If you're a Christian and you're living it out, you are going to hurt more people than you make happy. That's just a fact. Because so many people are self-deceived and thinking that they are such a great person. In reality, they are on the road, the broad road to destruction. They just think that it's the path of heaven. And it's not. So that was point number three. Point number four is God gives us a spirit of power. Now I want you to turn with me to Romans the eighth chapter, verse eleven. And trust me when I tell you that these next several verses that we're gonna have for points four and five, we could talk about these for hours and hours if we wanted to. 
we're not going to do that. But I just want to let you know that we're kind of being a little bit surface level here as much as I don't really want to, but we can go into great depths if we wanted to. But Romans 8, 11 says this, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That is power. That is exciting. The same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he lives within us. Here is the question. And this is going to sting a little bit. If we claim to have Christ Jesus as our Lord, Master, and Savior, we are given the gift, the precious gift, the best gift ever, the Holy Spirit living within us as our counselor, our Lord, our guide, our mind of Christ. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the question. If the Holy Spirit is living within you, how can you not make a difference in your life? Why is there not a change in your life? It's a tough question. Make you kind of bite your lip and you're like, ugh. But that's the truth. How can the Spirit, who was at the beginning of all things, it is self-existent, all-powerful, sovereign over all things, God himself, if he is living within you, how can he not make a difference in your life? Because you're probably not a Christian. You're probably not a Christian. And you need to do something about that quickly. Because it goes back to bearing fruit. Look at the fruit. Look at your life. Is your life the same from the minute you got saved? And is it the same? Or are you different? Have your attitudes, have your thoughts, have your has your heart changed? That's the question. Well, how do I know, Nate? Well, a couple things you can ask yourself this just off the top of my head here. But do you love God? Do you love Christ? Do you love the Holy Spirit? Do you have a deep longing desire to get to know him? Do you have a, a deep longing within you for scripture? Do you love scripture? Do you love church? Do you love the saints? Do you have a desire to obey God, to be pleasing to him, to die to yourself? Do you have a hatred for sin? I mean, a deep, deep hatred for sin because you know what it costs Christ. You know what it does. It separates God from you. It hides his face from him, from you. Those are just off the top of my head. But those are some questions to really, really think about. Second Timothy 1.7 2 Timothy 1.7. We talked about having a spirit of power within us. We have the Holy Spirit that gave life, that resuscitated, that made us walk new. Our spirits, they're alive now. But it doesn't just stop there. 
God, God is so gracious. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.7. Listen to this. For God has not given us a spirit, our spirits, a spirit of timidity or weakness or cowardice, but a spirit of power and love and discipline. We love the power, don't we? We love the power. Well, we love the power, Nate, because you entitled point number four, God gives us a spirit of his power, of power. It doesn't just stop there. It says of love and discipline. And I have to read this to you because it is so important. So in 1 Timothy, it says in chapter 4, verse 7, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit for only old women. On the other hand, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. There's the discipline. There's the discipline right there. Because, as you know, and we talked about on the show several times, we cannot live according to the passions of our flesh and the desires and the lusts of the flesh any longer. We have to deny ourselves completely. And that does not come natural. That's why we need Christ. That's why we need the Spirit. And again, we have been given a spirit not of timidity, but of power love, and discipline. Now I want you to listen to, to Titus 2.12 here. Listen to this. Here's, here's another part about discipline. Because we love the power, right? We love the power. Ooh, that's a great verse. I'm underlining that because I we have a spirit of power. And we love power. But don't forget, he gave us a spirit of love. To love people that hate us, that wrong us, that hunt us down. But discipline, listen to this, Titus 2.12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. There it is. We can say no to ungodliness, people, and to worldly desires. Well, how can we do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's given us a new spirit now, a spirit that doesn't long for worldly desires and ungodliness. And that's what we talked about in those questions I just asked. Do you have a desire to be holy like he is holy? Because God's grace gives us salvation to us all and instructing us to deny ungodliness. Now we have the mind of Christ. We have to detest sin. We have to detest the flesh. Because where is it going to end us up at? You know where. And you don't want to go there. So we don't have a spirit of timidity. We have a spirit of 
power, love, and discipline. And that is why we need to be bold as a lion. That's why. Because we don't have a spirit of being a coward. We have a spirit of power. Think of the coward lion in The Wizard of Oz. Same thing. Which I think that's one of the funniest characters that I've ever experienced, a cowardly lion, because obviously that is very contradicting to what a lion really is. A lion's not afraid of anything. Matter of fact, you know, we we look at them in the zoos and we think, oh, they're so cute and they're so cool. Well, I got news for you. If you were in the Sahara and you were face-to-face with a lion, you wouldn't think they're so cute and cuddly. Because one swipe of their paw can break a zebra's back. You ever seen a lion up close? Probably. They are huge. They are massive. They are powerful. And going back to our main text, to Proverbs 28.1, but the righteous are bold as a lion. We can't sit back as little lambs. We can't do that. We have been given a boldness. Again, let's go through these points real quick before we hit number five. Number one, the reason why we are bold as a lion is because we've been delivered from God's wrath. Such a deadly peril from the wrath of God we've been delivered. And then it says, believers, number two, believers have and understand divine truth. Number three, we have a living hope. And number four, God gives us a spirit of power. I mean, all those are just so exciting. And yet we sit here casually being a Christian. I'm going to read my Bible once a week. And, well, hey, I go to church. And, hey, I even volunteer in the back to teach the little kids on Sunday school. I must be on my way. Do not be self-deceived to think that our deeds can create any type of righteousness on our own. And now, finally, point number five. Christians have divine power to endure to the end. I want you to listen to Ephesians, the third chapter. Going to be starting in the 11th verse all the way to verse 19. I want you to listen. It says, This was in accordance to the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, I know that was a mouthful. I know that was a lot. But he asks us here, Verse 13, I ask you that you do not lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Friends, we have been given such a gift, such a hope, such a power 
that God will keep you until the very, very end. He will keep you to the very end. That is a promise and that is a guarantee. And I want you now to turn with me to 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. And as you know, I'm getting there myself. It says this, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. My brothers and sisters, we are in verse 3 right now. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You're hearing sound doctrine today. But most people will want this. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They hear what they want to hear. Verse 4. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like today? Verse 5. But you, talking about us here, followers of Christ, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. Oh boy, brothers and sisters, here we are. Be sober in all things. Keep your eyes open. Be watchful. Endure hardship. Can we do that on our own? Absolutely not. It's Christ's power. It's the Holy Spirit power living through us that gives us that endurance. And it says, do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. We're not done yet. We still have three verses left. Verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and my time of departure has come. Paul is saying here his, he feels that his time is coming, and it is. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, we could spend a whole other episode on this, but verse 7, we, brothers and sisters, have to fight the good fight. We need to finish the course, and we need to keep the faith. In our future, if we do those things, if we endure, we persevere in Christ, not on our own strength, but through His strength, we, we remain in Him, and He remains in us. In verse 8, this will be us. In our future, there is laid up for us the crown of righteousness. He will award to us on that day. Do you love His appearing? Do you love Christ? Do you love the Holy Spirit? Do you love God the Father? I'm going to read you this last verse, and then we're going to be done. Mark 13, 13 says, You will be hated by all because of my name. This is Jesus talking. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. God graciously, miraculously grants us saving faith that endures all things. It endures the death of a loved one. It endures the death of a child. 
it endures the death of a spouse, it endures the death of a parent, sibling, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa. It endures heavy persecution. It endures you losing your job over your faith. It endures you losing your friends and family over your faith. It endures all things. That saving faith is not faith that we generate on our own, but that comes through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit by, again, going back to Ezekiel here. I love Ezekiel, right? 36, you hear it. You've heard it many times. Then he will sprinkle clean water on us, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. Moreover, here it is. Here it is. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone, that heart that is opposed to everything that God says. So moving on from the heart of stone in verse 26. Now will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit, capital S, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And you will live in the land that I give to your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. I mean, wow. That's the saving faith. That's rebirth. That's regeneration. And if that doesn't describe you, then you have a serious, serious problem on your hands. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you grew up in the faith and you think that because you grew up in a Christian household, that somehow that means that you're a Christian too. You identify as a Christian. Uh, but the identification truly comes with the seal of the Holy Spirit on it within you. If the Holy Spirit is truly living within you, your heart, your desires, your spirit does not long for the things of this world. It hates it. And it longs for holiness, for righteousness. And moreover than that, it longs for Christ. It longs to crucify the desires of the flesh and to be walking in the Spirit, to be obedient to His Word, to His commands, to love Him more than anything else in this whole entire world. That's not you. You need to right now repent of your sins with a godly sorrow, knowing that our sins nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. And that he took upon himself, talking about Christ here, the full wrath of God. A punishment that we so deserve. He took it upon himself so that we didn't have to. And that now he gives us his righteous, righteousness so that we can stand before God Almighty. Right pure, 
blameless and holy. What a God we serve. If that doesn't make you bold as a lion, if that doesn't fire you up, then nothing else will. But we've been given such a precious promise. We've been given all these things. And now is the time to be bold as a lion for our faith. We must go out and fulfill the Great Commission. Baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey the commands of God. Because Jesus Christ paid our sins in full. When Jesus Christ said it is finished on the cross, that meant the penalty of sin through my death on the cross, it's been paid in full. The wrath of God has been satisfied. Wow. So with that being said, brothers and sisters, I pray that as much as I wanted to get extremely fired up and hooting and hollering, that doesn't really do a lot of things. That just whips up more meaningless emotion. Because we have the mind of Christ. It doesn't say we have the emotion of Christ. We do have his heart, don't get me wrong. But it says we have the mind of Christ. We have to process things first. Really let that saturate and work within us. Then it goes down to our hearts, and then we move that to action. But if you just are just taking this in right now, and maybe it's soaking in a little bit, and then it doesn't go down to the heart, then all it is is just head knowledge. It needs to permeate through. God's word needs to permeate through our minds, to our hearts, and to our souls. Not one of those can be left out. So I pray that during this time in which this world is completely spiraling out of control and it's in chaos, we have to be people of Christ, His representatives, His ambassadors, His disciples, His true followers, and we need to take his gospel, his message to this dead and dying world. That's why we have to be bold as a lion. I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And until next time, God bless you all.